0: The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production.
1: He's connected. Jason Barrett says, I'd like to see you here. The answer is when, where, what do you need? Respected. He's got a long and distinguished career in the sports radio business. Truly one of the titans of our industry. And unequivocally invested. Is this is the place to be if you're in the sports business. He is Jason Barrett, and this is the Jason
0: Barrett Podcast. Now bringing you in depth conversations with the best and brightest in sports media and shedding light on the industry's biggest opportunities and challenges. Here's the The president of Barrett Media, Jason Barrett.
1: Greetings once again. I am Jason Barrett. Welcome to the Jason Barrett Podcast, episode number four. If you've just found the show or are returning after catching a prior episode, I'd appreciate it if you could subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or bookmark our website to stay informed of future episodes. I think most inside the business would label me as a sports radio guy, given it's where I spent my career and continue to work in a consulting fashion, but I have a lot of relationships and thoughts and questions about sports television too, so for today, I thought it was time to put a bigger spotlight on the television side of our business, and one man who's plugged in well is Michael McCarthy of Front Office Sports. I'm looking forward to bringing you our conversation in just a few minutes. Before I dive into this week's edition of What I've Seen or Heard, I want to ask for some feedback. We recently promoted a link on social media to a survey we're running to help us improve our content online. If you read the website, listen to our podcasts, or if you follow us on social and can spare 10 minutes to weigh in, it'd be greatly appreciated. With that out of the way, it's time now for What I've Seen or Heard, and unfortunately, the LA Times this week tried to give local sports radio a black eye. I offered some feedback for the piece, so I'm quoted throughout it. And because my name is in it, I felt it was only right to address the story.
0: Attention! Attention! Have I got your attention now?
1: The headline read No one listens to sports radio in Los Angeles, why the people in charge aren't worried. When I saw that in the LA Times this week, I'm not going to lie, I was pissed off. The headline is very deceiving. I was asked in February by the Times if they'd be able to attend our summit in New York City on a media pass to work on the story. I turned down the request because the summit is about learning, sharing ideas, and building relationships, and I didn't want people in the room to not feel comfortable and be especially guarded because they were worried that their next sentence could end up dominating local media coverage. Though that's always possible when one has a live mic and cameras are rolling, we've fortunately been able to avoid some disasters. Though the request was denied, I agreed to talk to the reporter in March, and he was great. I thought we had a really good conversation. He acknowledged that he wasn't a media reporter and just wanted some insight into the way sports radio operates in other cities since he felt LA from a radio rating standpoint wasn't operating on the same level. Having lived, programmed, and consulted on the East Coast, West Coast, and in the Midwest, I gave some insight into the way audiences react in different pockets of the country. I talked about the FM versus AM advantage when it comes to grabbing ratings, and I explained why you can't just look at a Nielsen number when defining a brand's ability and their ultimate success. Unfortunately, that was minimized in the article. Look, I have no issue with a writer taking aim at radio ratings or local radio. If he or she feels the number should be higher and wants to write about it, go for it. I'm sure the 570 and 710 teams feel the same way. They'd like their numbers to be higher. But here was my issue. This story was spun to compare the best sports radio market in the country, Boston, against LA, and nothing was presented to show how these brands thrive beyond the Nielsen number. Newsflash, no market in the country performs like Boston, not New York, not Dallas, not Chicago, not Philadelphia, and some of those cities do incredibly well for this format. It's also fair to note that LA has three times more radio stations than Boston. I've said many times, Nielsen underrepresents brand consumption, and for that to be ignored was a big swing and a miss. You can't claim nobody listens based on a bullshit number and ignore how these brands excel beyond the radio dial. Ask people at 710 if they felt their Mandy Awards event last month was a huge success. Go look at how many people show up when Petros and Money do a live show. Better yet, use common sense. Do you think when the Lakers or Dodgers play games and traffic is at a standstill, nobody hears them? Didn't the Rams just win the Super Bowl? Are you telling me that nobody paid attention on local radio? Is it possible that maybe there aren't enough meters to capture true radio listenership in Los Angeles or that the digital performance for these brands are significant and not represented by the measurement company? I'll share a quick story. When the 2020 NBA playoffs took place, the bubble year, one team went on a major run before losing in the conference finals. There was a ton of buzz for this team in their local market, and I was working with the station which carried their games. We were confident we'd see growth for the quarter, given what we were seeing take place on the stream with podcast downloads, social engagement, and advertising demand. Then the ratings came out and the games that were leading conversations on ESPN and other local and national outlets delivered zeros and under one shares. We were stunned. According to Nielsen, nobody was listening to this team chase an NBA title, but our data told us people had more interest in them than ever. When we asked about it, the local rep admitted that the pandemic presented challenges with getting people to use meters. Yet this was the report card the brand was stuck with, and even worse, the station was paying for it. I've seen tons of these stories over the past 10 years, which is why I think our business needs a major overhaul in how it measures and tells its brand performance story. I'll admit, it impacts our website coverage. We didn't put out quarterly ratings in the winter or the spring, because the more we keep doing it, the more we highlight a broken system and give it credibility. I love numbers. I love being able to dissect where people are, what type of content they value, which days they consume the content, what we have to do to turn a P3 or P2 into a P1. But if the data is flawed and underrepresented, why are we putting stock in it? I've seen brands with three to four times the audience on their stream compared to what Nielsen says exists for local listening. I've seen stations with millions of podcast listens and video views only to have a radio number used to define if they're successful or not. I didn't even mention those who have TV simulcasts or massive websites producing high traffic. We need to ask ourselves one serious question. Do we want to be seen and measured as radio stations, or as multimedia sports outlets. If we deliver audience across multiple locations and only a small part of it is used to define our success or failure, then we're allowing the problem to continue. Either we get serious about finding a way to capture the collective power of our reach and connection with a local audience, or we run the risk of having others position us as non-essential as the LA Times did this week. With local sports radio. Well done, sir. If you have any thoughts or questions about what I had to say, get in touch by email jbarrett at sportsradiopd.com. You can also find me on Twitter at sportsradiopd. Now it's time to dive into the world of sports television. And between the Big Ten media news, the NFL Sunday ticket situation, and the numerous questions that exist entering the upcoming football season, there's a lot to examine. And I'm thrilled to get some answers for you this week by inviting my friend and one of the media industry's top insiders, Michael McCarthy of Front Office Sports, onto the Jason Barrett podcast. Yo, listen! All right, let's bring in sports media insider extraordinaire, Michael McCarthy of Front Office Sports. Mike, before we deep dive into a bunch of the contractual stuff going on on television, I just want to get your first perspective of, what we saw take place this past week. The Field of Dreams game, obviously a big hit for Fox, but one that caused a lot of reactions, some good, some bad, was the Harry Carey hologram experiment. And what's interesting, you know, Mike, I'm sure you talk to people, and we talk about the business sometimes not being willing to take enough chances. Here's a perfect example. Fox takes a chance. And then what happens when they take a chance? 50% love it, 50% hate it. From where you sat watching this this past week, what was your reaction to the experiment?
0: It was a nightmare, I was horrified. Uh, Personally, I'm not a fan of using dead people uh, in commercials or stunts, programming stunts like that. Uh, Let the dead lie. Uh, I thought it was a, a poor idea and it was executed even worse. Uh, I mean, he looked like, you know, Sid, the cue card guy from the Larry Sanders show. <laughs> and uh, I agree with you to some extent, uh, Jace, that uh, I love when people take chances. But there was a great line in Jurassic Park. Uh, some people uh, go ahead and do things because they could, but they never figure out if they should. And this was one of those examples where they should have said this is in poor taste and Let's talk about it in the meaning, but ultimately, let's
1: not green like this. I, I agree. I, I think the point you brought out about letting the dead lie, that's where I had an issue with it. I, I'm all for innovation, trying different things, but I think we could have picked a more current example to make something uh, come to light in, in a positive and impactful way. That being said, you know, Fox, the last few years with the Field of Dreams game, this has been a hit. That said, they don't have one next year. Do, do you think baseball needs a replacement special event?
0: I do think that they should make this an annual event. And if I could just make one more point on Harry Carey, Jason. I mean, there were so many ways you could have included Harry Carey in the broadcast without this, you know, weirdo, creepy CGI. I mean, you yep. could have just run a tape of him singing it. Or you could have had his son come out. Or you could have, you know what I mean, had a celebrity lead the whole thing. Play audio. Well, yeah, play audio. I mean, there were a million different uh, you know ways to do it. They uh, they picked the best one. Having said that, I said last year that the Field of Dreams telecast by Fox was the best thing I saw on TV all season. That it should simply win the Emmy hands down. Now this game wasn't as good, and this telecast wasn't as good as last year. But I think Jace that it, it proved to be kind of an outdoor hockey type event. For Major League Baseball, which they should do every year, year in year out. Obviously, they can't do it next year; fields on the construction. But I, I think it has proved its worth.
1: Yep, I couldn't agree more. I think it's uh, one of the uh, real hits that we've seen on television. And you brought up a good point tying it back to the NHL when they did the uh, Winter Classic, another big hit. You know, in the in the NHL at that time needed that. Um, obviously. You look at the news cycle right now. There's a lot being made about the Big Ten and their uh, TV situation. Now that both the Big Ten and the SEC are promised the 330 slot on CBS in 2023, do you think ESPN is in a position of power to start the SEC deal a year early? I think it could be.
0: I I think ESPN is stung by this whole Big Ten negotiation. I, I think Uh, Stung and and a little stunned. I mean, you know, the ESPN has been showing big team games for 40 years. Yep. So uh, I I think they were surprised. So I expect ESPN to counterattack strongly, whatever way they can. I mean, one of the things that's funny about ESPN is, you know, everybody likes to think that they sit back. But no, they're always looking for an advantage. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, them raiding Fox for Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. I mean, who the hell would have thought in a million years that those guys would go to ESPN? But Jimmy Pitaro saw the opening and he swooped in. I think to your point about the SEC, you know what I mean? I I see ESPN doing that if they can. And they also see it as a way to reassure the SEC that you're still the preeminent uh, college college football conference. They need to reassure them because the Big Ten is getting all the attention. Let's face it.
1: Yep. They are. And you know, what what was interesting when you're reading the story and seeing how it progressed, and obviously the Big Ten weren't in love with ESPN Plus as many others are. I'm curious to get your feedback. Do you think the Big Ten's insistence that ESPN Plus not be part of a new media deal was about not wanting any streaming-only games or about not wanting to devalue an exclusive streaming rights package? I I
0: think uh, it's very simple, Jason. I think and we broke this story exclusively in front office sports. Kevin Warren wants the big 10 to be the NFL of college football. And what I mean by that is he wants to condition viewers to think of big 10 games, the way they think of NFL games. Mm-hmm. Now look how uh, Warren is replicating this. It's actually very ge- its genius. On Saturday, you're going to have a triple header of games, all on free broadcast television, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Fox on the early game, CBS in the afternoon, NBC in the late night game. Well, that mirrors exactly what the NFL does the following day, right? You either have Fox or CBS broadcast television. You have a late game on Fox or CBS, and then you have the the, the primetime game on NBC. So I think Kevin Warren, a former NFL guy, is brilliantly following the NFL's model. And who can blame him? Because, you know, the NFL used free over the air broadcast television to turn itself into not only the most popular sport in the country but the most popular entertainment property in the country i think it's a great idea
1: and on top of that, the most financially lucrative in those regards because you look at what the nfl is doing it's uh, on a different level from everybody financially with television that being said you know so much has been made the last year year and a half about the sunday ticket situation and right now I've seen you guys report. I've seen others, you know, talking about Apple seems to be the favorite, but I would go back, you know, a few months ago, it was going to be ESPN plus, and then they were going to find another way to get things done. Where, where is that situation at as of this time? All of my sources
0: pay it as Apple. I don't know what the delay is. Perhaps uh, Goodell and Apple are waiting for some sort of, a uh, special day to make the announcement, maybe time in around the kickoff of the new season. But all of my sources say that it's going to be Apple. Uh, NFL wants Apple for a simple reason, right? You have now, if you have Apple, you have Apple and Amazon, both in the NFL orbit. Imagine what the NFL can glean from those two companies. Imagine the resources they can bear as the NFL tries to expand internationally. Imagine how they can help as Goodell tries to reach $25 billion in revenue, which is double where the NFL is now. So I, I think it's Apple all the way. If it isn't, I'll be shocked.
1: Yeah, and, you know, look, they've got partnerships with all the other groups already, you get those two in somewhere down the road when the next rights deal comes around. Now, Google, now Facebook, now who knows what, you know, TikTok at that point might be as big as YouTube. So who knows? But um, obviously they want those people involved, those groups because there's so much revenue there to be, uh, to be had in the future that with that in mind, Mike, if Apple gets the Sunday ticket deal, what does that do for their chances of landing an NBA streaming package in the future? I think it, you know,
0: hugely increases it. I mean, you know, once the Big Ten is over, uh, the next big rights deal is the NBA. And the NBA, more than any other league, has shown the willingness to take a risk with its media packages. Remember, the NFL has always been super conservative, right? They want free, over-the-air broadcast television. You can see the game even if you have, like, one of those little mouse ears, you know what I mean, with (laughs) antennas, you know, you put it on top of your TV. Whereas the NBA was the first to go all cable with its package. So I I think, you know what I mean, that it's going to, they're going to be huge factors, the Googles, the Apples, the Amazons in the NBA factors. And even if they're not uh, actually going to bid the most, the leagues use them, Jace, as a stalking horse to drive up the price, which is exactly what they did with the last NFL deal.
1: Well, you know, and obviously the the league needs them involved because, Turner and ESPN have been the two places you go for NBA coverage, and both do a tremendous job for different reasons. Uh, I mean, down the road, if you don't have Apple involved, uh, who would be the real competition for Turner and ESPN? Because if you want more money out of those networks, you've got to have other dance partners involved.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Fox, I I, I don't see Fox uh, going after the NBA, although that that could surprise me. And you're right. who, Who else is out there? Uh, you know, ESPN is still ESPN, and ESPN has ABC. If you notice, uh, ESPN kept ABC at arm's length for 20 years. But all of a sudden, Jimmy Pitaro comes in, and now all of a sudden, Disney and ESPN are one. And what Pitaro is doing, and, uh, and Norby and the rest of them are very smart, is they're using ABC to counter the uh, the fact that ESPN is losing subscribers. Okay, so everybody's saying, well, ESPN is down to 80 million homes. Well, wait a second, we got ABC. So we yep. can show the NBA Finals on ABC. We can show college football on ABC. We can show the Big Ten on ABC.
1: And that's
0: uh, been a,
1: a godsend, I think, for ESPN. Since we're talking about Fox, obviously, you know, they've announced Kevin Burkhart's going to be in the boot this year, Greg Olson. Uh, in the future, Tom Brady will be part of that. They paid him a, a ridiculous sum of money without us knowing if he could even do the job yet but it's Tom freaking Brady so if they're going to lure eyeballs that's definitely going to help do they have any expectations of when they believe he will leave football for the booth
0: from what i hear the expectation is that he's going to play this season and then retire uh and if the bucks don't make the playoffs i mean could tom brady uh appear during fox's super bowl telecast I bet, you know what I mean, my house on it. I mean, if he wasn't playing in the game, why wouldn't he at least pop in as an analyst, if not uh, a third uh, game caller? So I, I think the expectation is that in 2023, Tom Brady will be in the booth. And I, I want to address, you know what I mean, the, the contract, because it's so ridiculous and the sums are so astronomical, but nobody can uh, get their heads around it. Yep. But you got to remember, Fox said that Tom Brady will be a partner. Right. So he's not just going to call up. He's not going to show up at the stadium once a week. (laughs) He's going to be in meetings. He's going to be trotted out to avatars. They're going to maximize his value in so many different ways that, believe me, he will be worth that money.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, if he's not doing other things, that's a bad deal. But, you know, if you've got the image of Tom Brady and if he can be good on television, they'll hit a home run. And I mean, you go back to something we talked about earlier in this conversation about, taking chances, being willing to innovate. I mean, look, this is a chance, you know, no, we just saw Drew Brees in NBC two years ago. Everybody thought Drew Brees is going to be a home run a year later. He's not even at NBC. So, you know, it, it can go either way, but if, if you hit it right, you can have your guy for the next 10 years and be putting a lot of eyeballs on that network. Yeah. I, I I personally
0: didn't think Drew, Drew Brees was going to be a home run. Uh, and, I wasn't surprised that he didn't work out. And you're right; it's a risk reward bet, right? If you get a guy who you know is right off the field and knows today's offenses, knows today's defenses, like a Tony Romo, you know you can have a real home run. Or I've got two words that'll chill your blood: Jason Witten.
1: Oh yeah, listen. You know, for every Tony Romo, there's Jason Witten, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, you know you go back to uh, what we talked about earlier about. Pataro going after Buck and Aikman, even though the Monday night boot the last few years got better, it wasn't perceived the way it was when Tarico and Gruden were there. And even before that, when Al used to be there and Cassell and all, all the big you know imagery you had from Monday night football, obviously Buck and Aikman are being counted on to restore that, and I think they can. One, one program football-related that was a big hit last year, a lot of buzz around it, was the Manning cast. I'm curious from your vantage point, how do you expect the show goes in year two? Does this become something even bigger or do you think that, you know, the new car smell kind of wears off?
0: I think it becomes even bigger and better. I think uh, the brothers are going to be more relaxed. I think the Rolodex, if anything, will expand because they'll not only be able to get returning guests like a Pat McAfee, but they'll be able to get new guests who know that there's a lot of buzz around the Manning cast and want to participate in. I mean, I think the one thing that could take the shine away from the Manning cast is the amount of quantity out there. They're not going to be the only game in town. Everybody and their brother is going to be doing a mega cast of some kind. And a lot of them are going to be bad. And that stench from these bad mega casts could waft up and affect the good ones like the Manning cast. So I think if that's uh, if there's going to be any danger, it's that there's going to be an overload of mega cast this season and
1: for the next couple of years. And, and they've got to now contend and go up against Joe and Troy, which is definitely different than Steve Levy, Lewis Riddick and Brian Greasy. And so, you know, that big field that ESPN wanted on Monday night. I mean, they're going to have it. They got two channels delivering good programming around the game. One, one thing I saw, Mike, that I'm I'm just surprised by, I guess maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but the numbers surprised me was there was an article that uh, that we did earlier this week where uh, Nielsen Scarborough said 54% of those who watched Thursday Night Football in the last year said they are not Amazon Prime members. And there was a lot of people who didn't even know that Thursday Night Football was going to be on Amazon. How do you expect... Thursday night football performs this year, given that Amazon's new to the tur- you know new to the game in this regard as the exclusive spot, and so many people have been conditioned to go find football through free TV.
0: Personally, I didn't buy that story at all. Uh, number one, I'll tell you why: Amazon has had Thursday night football for yep. years, right, as part of a tricast with the NFL Network and Fox. So you already have millions upon millions of NFL viewers who are conditioned to find it uh, on Amazon. Two, I I think streaming has gotten to the point where if there's two streamers, everybody knows, it's Amazon and Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. One or the other. I mean, everybody knows how to get that. Three, I mean, I don't know how many uh, they're up to now, but I I think Amazon Prime had over 80 million subscribers just in the US alone. Well, that's the same uh, sort of footprint as ESPN. And it's bigger yep. than uh, NFL Network. So, uh, I, you know, I, I saw that story. You know, I, I think it's a concern for some older viewers who may not be uh, as tech savvy, but it I was overblown. I think Amazon is going to do just fine. I actually think, it, you know, there's going to be a lot of curiosity because people are going to tune in to see, you know, how Kirk does. Crawling NFL Games with the legend and with Al Michaels. They're gonna want to see if they do anything different on studio show. They wanna check out the mega casts like Dude Perfect and this uh, QB only mega cast, possibly with Drew Brees that we wrote about. So I think there is gonna be a strong curiosity factor with you know to see how Amazon does it different from
1: the broadcasters. And you know what's interesting is we're talking about this in August. Amazon's got so much power. That if it's not working, they'll just put marketing money behind it and make sure you know that it's on Thursday night on their on their uh network. They'll they'll cut commercials that tell you exactly how to log in and watch it <laughs> if you're that confused. Um right. you know, one, one be on the splash screen, right? As soon as right. you go to Amazon,
0: it'll be like watch Thursday night football. I mean, they'll
1: buy programming somewhere and make sure that you know it's there. So I'm not too worried about where we're at, where we're at in October with finding Thursday night football. Uh, one group that's got massive money, I mean, you see the, you know, Live Golf. What what's going on with them and how many, you know, the, the stories that you guys had around Barkley being recruited and all these big names that are, you know, the money that was fl- thrown out towards Tiger Woods was insane. What do you think the future holds for them in terms of interest in media rights?
0: I think they are going to get a U.S. media deal. I talked to their chief media officer, Will Stager, well, I was out at their Bedminster event and he told me that this fall they're going to start uh, formal media rights negotiations for the U.S. package. Don't forget, they've already got deals with 26 partners all over yep. the world. So yep. They've already got TV deals. Uh, the reason why they don't have a TV deal in the U.S. is twofold. First of all, they just got going. And as you know, you know TV networks do their ad commitments months in advance. And second of all, almost every broadcast in the U.S., uh, including ESPN, NBC, CBS, Sports has spoken for with the PGA Tour. Now that leaves one interesting competitor, Fox. Yes, Stace, this is the same network that fired <laughs> Greg Norman, the chief executive <laughs> officer of Live Golf, yeah. after he swallowed the mic uh, at the US Open. Uh, and a lot of people thought that Fox scapegoated Norman for its own failures uh, on golf. But look, business is business. I mean, I was out at uh, Bedminster. I talked to a lot of live people. Greg Norman has very close relationships with the Murdoch family, who we all know, or Australian as he is. And, uh, you know, Fox, I hear, is itching to get back into golf because they want live sports rights. They don't want streaming, right? Right. So, I mean, I could see them coming to some sort of Modus Vivendi where all is forgiven.
1: Yeah, and look, and if not, they'll – Find a way to have Greg Norman go make friends with the people at Amazon, Apple, and if it's uh, if there's enough money there, and these guys have shown they've got money to spend, just like I mentioned with Amazon, they'll market it all over the place to make sure you know where to go find it. Um, <laughs> one thing I want to get your uh, your input on because I know you you keep really good tabs on what's going on uh, with Fox Sports One. Um, we we know Craig Carton's going to have a morning show on FS One. The news this past week was. Jenna Wolfe just left first things first. What's the expected start date for Carton? And Have you heard any news regarding his partner? Because the last I saw on it was they had made the run at Damian Woody. Uh, there's been some things changing at FS1. Marcellus Wiley no longer would speak for yourself. Where does that leave us with Carton and Morning Drive working with somebody?
0: I think uh, Carton is going to, you know, uh, get on the air literally within the next month. I think that the Jenna Wolf move was the first in recasting. It wouldn't be surprised me to see some of the other people from First Things First pop up uh, on other shows. Fox always likes to mix and match its talents on FS1. If you notice, you know, Joy Taylor was here and then she was yep. there and this was here. And this was. So, so they're always uh, rearranging the pieces. Um Getting a good partner for Carton is going to be tough. I mean, I'm based in New York, so I've had a lot of experience listening to Carton. And you really have to, you know, be secondary to his personality. Yep. He's the show. So if you're an art show or somebody like that or a Marcellus who's used to being the show, the host, and you get together with the Carton, you know what I mean? Carton's going to try to dominate Uh, the
1: show so there could be a real clash of egos there I'm gonna watch that closely how how do you think this affects Nick Wright going forward because you know they they obviously built that show in mornings first things first with Chris Carter and him then when Chris left they really built around Nick and now here comes Craig and obviously Craig is ultra talented you know market one very familiar super you know we'll definitely get some people talking about the show but Nick also has built a pretty big profile. How do you think this affects his future with the network? You know, I've checked on this a
0: bunch of times and I always get back the same thing. Fox loves Nick, they think of him as the next skip, the next cowherd. Uh, so I think if anybody is sitting in a position as a successor to either of those talents at Fox, it is Nick Wright. That's how highly they think about him. Now, look, things could change. You know, uh, Colin Cowherd isn't going anywhere. But, you know, Skip is no spring chicken. Right. Uh, you know, who knows if he's one going to do another deal and get up at five o'clock in the morning or four <laughs> o'clock in the morning, whatever it is, the uh, time he gets up there in L.A. So if, if either one of those uh, moves on, either by choice or contractually, I think Nick Wright slides into this spot.
1: Yeah. At some point, he's going to be the Tarico to Al Michaels. You know, uh, if, if Skip's the owl of debate, at some point they're going to say five years from now, Look, Skip, you don't got ten. You got four, four or five here. We'll we'll roll with you, but we got to get the next guy in line at some point. So it'll, that'll but be an here's interesting. He is a warning, Jace, that
0: that I've told people in the business. You can only be the heir apparent for so long. Yeah, before you become old news. Yes, that's right? true. It's it's kind of a it's a great position, but it's also a dangerous position. I mean, Trey Wingo was the heir apparent to Chris Berman for years on the NFL draft until he wasn't. Right and. You know, so you got to strike while the iron's hot. I'd rather be the guy than be the air parent.
1: Correct. I'm going to wrap up with you on this. One sports media news item you expect to take place this fall that you've got your eye on. Uh, I think you're going to see
0: NFL ratings explode. Uh, I think after that uh, slowdown a couple of years ago, they have been steadily rising 5%, 7%. I, I think the NFL just continues to separate itself as a property. Uh, there's so much going on with the league and there's so many great players and there's so many great storylines and there's so many great broadcasters involved. Uh, I, I think there's going to be
1: just an explosion in NFL ratings. Do you think that we see, you know, when this season wraps, are we looking at something next year where there's a broadcaster or broadcasters earning 25, 30 million a, a contract per year i do uh
0: I, I think you know tony romo set the dominoes in motion and the dominoes are going to continue to fall to me the real question is whether or not all those largesses that is being awarded to nfl announcers will be re- rewarded to broadcasters from other sports uh barkley of course is a special case but yeah. if you're the number one uh, announcer or the number one game analyst for the nba the mlb the nhl MLS,
1: will you get anything close to what the Romos are making? Uh, that's the question. That's going to be an interesting follow because you're right. The John Smoltz, the Reggie Millers, who are really good, they're not seen as Barkley. They're not seen as Tony Romo. They're not seen as Troy Aikman or Tom Brady. So, you know, if Peyton ever wants to go into the boots, I'm sure they'll pay him a fortune. But You know, there's going to have to be those kind of people, maybe when Aaron Rodgers retires. Right. Like he certainly uh, (laughs) seems to get some uh, interest in what he does, but that'll be a fun follow. Mike, we'll continue to read you on front office sports and follow you on social. Appreciate the time today. Thank you, and thanks for inviting front office sports.
0: Thank you for listening to the Jason Barrett Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you consume podcasts. And to stay in touch with Jason, follow him on Twitter at
1: PD, or read his columns on BarrettSportsMedia.com.